Radio for the Agile Community. www.agile.fm Welcome to another episode of Agile FM. Today's guest is Natalie Warnert. Uh, Natalie blogs, and the title on her blogs is Confessions of a Scrum Master. She has a Master's of Arts in Organizational Leadership at the St. Catherine University, St. Paul. And that uh, thesis actually has a title, Increasing Women's Involvement in the Agile Community. That's the title of the thesis. That is a big topic uh, from us here in the uh, podcast, including other things. But before we get started, um, I noticed, uh, Catherine, uh, Natalie, I'm sorry, that you have a um, hobby, and that hobby is triathlon. We have something. Yes. We have some. We have something more in common than agile. Um, I used to do triathlon. <laughs> yeah, I've um, I've done about four or five triathlons. I really like them. Um, I was a swimmer in in high school and college, so that's the part that usually usually trips people up is the swimming. And so I had that down, and I just had to, to try and master the running and biking a little bit more. Well, the big question is, are you applying Agile to, to triathlon? Um, maybe a little bit to the trainings, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> try, and, try and train in, in cycles and those types of things. But um, yeah, I definitely, I definitely could, could do a little bit better in planning out some of those trainings, potentially using, using a Kanban board to record um, <laughs> <laughs> what I should be doing, <laughs> maybe holding myself a little more accountable. One, one thing is for sure, there's a lot of inspect and adapt. I always refer to uh, people when, you know, it's not a sprint, it's a marathon, but maybe I have to revisit this and it's, it might be a triathlon. <laughs> yeah, most definitely. There's a lot, of, a lot of learning that goes on in each triathlon. <laughs> Natalie, you can be reached at nataliewarnord.com and uh, you blog. And when you go to your website, it's, it's immediately visible that you have something, even a logo out there, Women in Agile. Your thesis is about Women in Agile. Um, so you're obviously very passionate about it. And one of your recommendations in the thesis is to, uh, that one of your recommendations is to increase, um, create awareness uh, for women in Agile. So I hope that podcast here actually creates that or can help with this. Yes, definitely. So let's get the word out. Why, <laughs> why women in Agile? Why is that so important? Well, you know, I, I first of all can't take all the credit for it. Um, this happened... Uh, at a conference I was at in 2013, it was the Scrum Gathering. Um, it was in Las Vegas, and a group of women got together in an open space and just talked about, you know, the some of the issues around women in Agile or maybe lack thereof. Mm-hmm. Um, just that we are in a very technology centric field, um, and you know that that doesn't have as many women as men, and we really called this out as as an issue in an area for improvement. And what I like to say, especially, is that this isn't necessarily only a women's problem. Um, this is really an everybody problem because um, by by getting more women involved, um, the the content of, of the community and the, the quality of that content, the ideas, um, all of those things all grow exponentially. And, you know, without those voices being heard, the, you know, it, it really, it's not good for, for anybody. 
Mm -hmm. But why why is it so important to, um, I'm obviously playing devil's advocate, why more women in, in the Agile community? What is it Agile bring to the community men might not be able to do? Well, you know, um, in my thesis, I talk a little bit about this as well, but a lot of the a lot of the values that we have in Agile are, you know, more typically stereotypically um, attributed to women. Um, the collaboration, the the learning, and some of those those softer skills that aren't necessarily always associated with men. Um, women women tend to be better at those and the relationships, which we know that team relationships are are so important um, on, in Agile teams. And so those are those are some of the you know, the more stereotypical type things that I would, I would go to. But again, it's just, it's really about the equality, the sharing of ideas and letting everyone have, have a voice so that mm -hmm. the community as a whole can really benefit from that. Right. I mean, you mentioned the, the soft skills. I, many years ago, somebody um, had like a very general um, advice about Scrum Masters, um, obviously. And, and that person said, uh, Scrum Masters um, ideally are staffed with women uh, coming out of a QA department. Mm. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. I hadn't, <laughs> I hadn't heard that before. Um, I attribute, um, I, I've seen a lot of women in the UX roles that are kind of, you know, starting to become a lot more prevalent on our Agile projects. So um, that's, that's where I've seen a lot more, more women, but mm. Yeah, mm -hmm. I, I, if I compare um, like the 1990s with the 2016 now, um, I, I would say there are more women represented. I think there's definitely a trend uh, of increasing. I think maybe maybe Agile even opens the doors with interesting things, especially around the soft skills for having more women enter this. Maybe it just needs more time to get into the universities. Yeah, I, I really think that um, it has increased. Uh, you know, even just in the last four to five years, um, I've seen I've seen more women at conferences. I've seen more women presenting. I've seen more women in the workplace, um, in you know IT type fields. And I do think that agile is um, is an attractive area for women to to gravitate towards. So I'm hoping um, that with a lot of the the efforts that I'm working on, um, as well as I know a lot of other women are working on, and the the other larger STEM efforts to get more young girls involved. Mm -hmm. um, I hope that will continue to increase the number of women that are, you know, mm -hmm. that we see in the field. And again, that's gonna that's gonna benefit everyone. Right. Absolutely. You're an independent coach, as uh, as far as I understand, and uh, um, obviously coaching soft skills. Uh, there's an um, a large representation of women. So I think we are well, you we as an industry make some uh, great progress here. You mentioned, yeah. yeah, you mentioned a, a good connection, which might actually get us to to the other topic. So, so um, uh, you mentioned UX. Uh, you spoke about Lean UX at the Agile 2015. Um, Lean UX, Agile, the integration in particular. There is an increased uh, participation of women. So maybe we take that as a segue into um, Lean UX and Agile. What was your talk about? I mean, it was very recent and. Uh, why don't you just uh, introduce your take on Lean UX and the um, Agile integration um, just to the listeners here? Yeah, definitely. Um, I've done a couple different talks. Um, actually, Agile 2014 was where I did one. And then I believe what you're referencing mm -hmm. is um, an international talk I did in Lviv, Ukraine at a conference called IT Arena. And that mm -hmm. was in October 
of 2015. Um, and the talks were a little bit different, but you know, were centered kind of on the same lean UX topic. And I've also wrote a few uh, articles on UX and agile integration because I've worked with a number of UX teams, and that was always um, a little bit of a, a struggle to to integrate those those teams correctly with development teams. I mean, we we look at agile and we look at you know the cycles that we follow and really trying to complete um, complete sprints of work complete. Uh, complete deliverables within two weeks. And that's really tough to do when you're trying to look at everything from the design to the build to the test. Um, and I think, you know, a lot of people would say that as well. Now, when you look at, at user experience, that gets a lot more difficult because if you're not thinking about the entire picture, um, at least at some level, you're going to end up with a lot more of a, a choppy experience. You know, I think we could say that we could say the same thing from an architecture perspective. We don't want to necessarily be building our architecture um, as we're going without thinking about the entire architecture stack. It's, it's very similar with UX. So um, what I really talk about with the Lean UX is how we, how we find that balance between the big design up front mm-hmm. and you know, the just-in-time design. And that balance is going to look a little bit different depending on the team you're working on, depending on the product, um, depending on, on a lot of those types of things. But it's, it's getting just enough of an upfront idea and design mm-hmm. that um, allows the design team, the UX team, to then go and iterate and be able to deliver um, the rest of that design in smaller incremental chunks so that it can be consumed by development and not create a massive bottleneck, um, you know, getting designs to developers, developers are waiting, um, or developers have to, you know, make some of those design decisions by themselves because there hasn't been enough time to think through them. It's, it's, it's really an art to try and integrate all of those things together. So that's what, um, that's what I talked about and, uh, came up with, you know, a process that describes that a little bit, um, a little bit more visually. It's called the the UX runway, and I need to credit that a little bit to um, the Scaled Agile framework, which is where I got the idea. Mm-hmm. But you know, it really sits at the the program level, and so that we can you know we can look at the the things that are coming down from the portfolio level, look at that that design up front, and then mm-hmm. still make sure that we're feeding in just in time design that is is able to be um, iterated further on. And I think the most important part is that we're having our, our designers and our developers, um, our UX folks and developers working very closely together, working side by side so that we can be changing things on the fly when we come up with um, you know, a, a technical issue that can't work with a de- design or you know, a better design at the, you know, at the last minute. And so really allowing everybody to, to have those benefits of our, our adapting to change that we that we tout in mm-hmm. in Agile. Yeah, one thing one thing I noticed uh, just in your explanation was um, you, you mentioned something uh, just enough design uh, to get started, but having some holistic um, approach, right? And I think uh, based on my experience, there's a lot a ton of teams out there who who are stuck uh, somewhere in both extremes, right? One uh, we're designing, we're laying out the design upfront to the other ones who come up with the what you I think referring to as the choppy design. Uh, mm-hmm. When it's done in too small of an increments, what is just enough? 
in your opinion? What do you think? <laughs> well, I'll start out with the consultant answer. It depends. <laughs> um, <laughs> it, it really, it depends on the team, right? Just enough for some teams is going to be different than just enough for other teams. Um, you know, if the, the product that's being developed is very new, um, that just enough is probably going to be more because we don't necessarily know um, the design aesthetics of it. We don't necessarily have, um, you know, have a, a style sheet or a design document or a style guide that we're going off of. So we're going to need the, the development teams and the UX teams going to need some more time um, to figure those things out. Now, if if the development is being done on an existing product and it's a product enhancement, it's um, you know something else like a, a re rebranding or something like that, mm-hmm. then just enough is probably going to shrink a little bit more um, because we already have some existing things to base to base it on. Um, if these folks have been working together for a long time, um, they can probably make some some safe assumptions. Now, mm-hmm. I'm I'm really putting the emphasis on on safe assumptions. Um, <laughs> don't want we don't want anyone to be making too many assumptions and have to result in a lot of rework. But at the same time, um, when these folks are working together very closely, um, the just enough can really can really vary, um, and they can really start to feed off each other and figure out what is that just enough for that team or for that particular um, you know group of people. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I have an uh, extreme example actually. There was a there was there was a team that was six months ahead of the UX team, six months ahead of the uh, engineering teams, right? So that is a uh, obviously an extreme example from uh, yes. uh, upfront design, um, and uh, obviously others um, would have a very you know chopped design, and uh, you know that's what we often see is like they're being spoon fed in in their ideas. Um, obviously, there's something in the middle, which is the right the right balance for it, right? But um, often teams use like technology to prove out the design. Basically, decide to uh, um, go with the UX with an initial UX, and then they would um, build it out and basically use focus groups to um, um, to test the design and inspect and adapt on that. Um, is that something you have seen being practical in in uh, in your work? Like somebody yes. actually actually using the design initial design and testing it out. Yes, and it's it's so great um, when that's able to be done because we come up with a much better product. Um, you know, obviously the the caveats with that are again the time, which we're all so crunched for, mm-hmm. and then you know sometimes those do cause a significant investment. But again, um, I think I think if we you know if we can get our um, our companies to invest that time and that money up front, we do end up with a much better product. Mm-hmm. And the other thing that I, I wanted to say with that, when you were when you were talking about the you know the very large design up front, yeah. um, of course there are benefits to that to you know the UX group and to the developers. They have an idea of what they're going to be building. However, you know when you know as in as in waterfall, when people get really stuck on those those big things up front. Um, it makes it a lot harder to change. It makes it harder to um, to insert some of that feedback, mm-hmm. um, you know. And and anyone can have some of those good ideas. I don't think you need to be a designer to come up with an idea, um, or you know, an information architect to come up with an idea about how a user should flow. I think that's what's so great about having our UX folks working very closely with our developers because they can really feed off each other. And, um, you know, they all have different expertise, but it 
in the end, it, it ends up a much, much higher quality product. And, you know, the customer is, is able to use it much, much better. Mm -hmm. uh, well, thank you. This is, uh, this is very informative, right? So your take on, on this and uh, as you speak in those conferences is always um, good, you know, to um, have speakers from conferences appear on this podcast and share their thoughts and especially the feedback they're getting from uh, either clients or participants. Uh, there's one thing I do want to touch on as well, and that is uh, something which is maybe related to UX. Maybe we can create a connection here to value. And um, earlier, before we started here with this podcast, we quickly chatted, and there was one thing you, uh, you mentioned, and that is a value mapping exercise now. Uh, something you have about value mapping, uh, something interesting about value mapping, I don't know the exercise yet, uh, I don't know. I don't know if, if that is even something you can even explain over a podcast, uh, audio only. But um, what is the what is the exercise? What's the intent? And uh, more importantly, what's your take on value mapping? And uh, how do you include that in your day to day work? Yeah, I, I can definitely try. Um, for for those of you um, who are interested, I will be speaking about value mapping um, at the Scrum Gathering in Orlando um, in let's see, April of 2016. So coming mm -hmm. up here. Okay. Um, but really, um, this is an exercise that I had talked to a couple folks about and then decided to try it. And, and where it stemmed from was the fact that um, when we were looking at defects, um, you know, a list of technical debt that we, we had on a particular um, product of mine, which of course, you don't want to have that big list of technical debt, but a lot of people do. Mm -hmm. And we were really at that, that code freeze time and trying to figure out what in the world are we going to fix? We only have this amount of time. You know, we only have one more sprint and what are we going to put in here? Okay. And looking at, you know, looking at defects in particular makes you realize that, all right, you know, we might have this defect here that could potentially have a huge impact on, on something. Um, we might have another defect over here that maybe won't have as much of an impact, but that defect has to do with this executive's pet project, and they're going to find it, and that's going to come back and bite us. Mm -hmm. And so that's really what, what made me start thinking about, all right, how do, we, how do we start mapping this value back to what different people care about? Um, we think about our list of stakeholders, and often that's quite long, and they all have very different interests. Of course, everyone wants to turn around a profit, um, get that return on investment. But are these, are these all going to, to lead to that? Which are the ones that are going to make people yell the loudest almost? Mm -hmm. And so what I did with that was I developed um, a set of criteria that we could look at um, and kind of make a matrix out of each of these, these defects to say, all right, which, which area does this fall in? And from a weighted perspective, you know, is this you know, a three, is this super important or is this a one maybe not quite as important? And I'm almost looking at it from from the perspective of story points mm -hmm. um, where, you know, is this is this more important than this relatively um, instead of, you know, this is, this is one hour and this is three hours. Mm -hmm. So, you know, some of the criteria on that list were really interesting. Um, I, I was working at that, at this point at a retailer in Minnesota, and you know, if anyone has been following retail in the last few years, security is a really big issue. And so that was one of the criteria we had on there. Okay, is this a security implication? If it is, yeah, 
all right, that's a three in that column. Mm -hmm. um, you know, is this something that's, you know, looking back on the money, is this something that's going to cause us to lose sales? All right, that might happen. So that's, you know, that's a two in that column. Um, the My favorite one actually is called the moron factor. And everyone always asks me what that means. And really, <laughs> it's how stupid is this going to make us look if someone sees it? Right. Uh, you know, is this going to make us lose sales, this misspelled word? Mm. No, not necessarily, but it's on a very prominent place. Someone's going to see it. We're going to look really stupid and we're going to get yelled at. So that's obviously should be rated a little bit higher than, mm -hmm. you know, potentially um, a, a weird image that maybe doesn't look as bad. Mm -hmm. um, so really by by laying those things out and, and seeing, okay, where is this going to um, give us value or decrease value? Um from a relative perspective, it really helps in prioritizing some of those defects. And then taking it one one or two levels higher, um, looking at a number of different teams that are dependent on each other um, at a program level, and you're trying to to map out a number of features in a roadmap for you know maybe an upcoming quarter. Um, and everyone you know everyone has these these different features that's going to bring different amounts of value, but they all need to work on them. Mm -hmm. um, how do we look at those? from different levels and different value perspectives other than just the the return on investment to prioritize things across a program because then we have to have a number of different um, product folks agreeing on on what is important so giving them kind of that um, that numerical mm -hmm. measure so they can kind of see that's that's a little bit separate from just ROI because ROI right. can be you know very subjective Right, so your your spelling error on the side wouldn't really have a lot of ROI, but you know, sig significant other impact. Yeah, but yeah, that's something that you know one of our executives is probably going to be going through, and they're going to see that, and that's going to really upset them. <laughs> you know, that was another one: executive impact. Right? Mm -hmm. How how what's an executive going to say if they see this? Mm -hmm. So um, just just to be clear, so your the the exercise you created here is something you came up with for your. So to speak, last sprint. Uh, what are we going to do? What are we going to squeeze in? Um, but the technique itself could be used. The technique you're introducing at the um, uh, Scrum gathering um, is something teams could actually apply for any kind of work, even if it's not the last sprint. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, again, this was in a this was in a, a retail context, so we were going sure. we we're going into the the holiday, and so that was right before I a see. very large freeze. What are we going to fix? before we can't fix anything. But yeah, I think it could um, could really go up better at the program level. And that's what I'm talking about at um, at the Scrum Gathering in April of 2015, 2016, excuse me. Yeah, we're already in 2016. <laughs> we've, we've switched years, a <laughs> whole month now. Well, thank you, Natalie. This is this is very informative. And I'm, I'm pretty sure while you're going through these um, conferences and you're getting feedback about the exercise, I'm, I'm sure you're blogging about this as well at your... Uh, Website nataliewarnot.com, Confessions of a Scrum Master. Mm -hmm. And uh, this is very insightful. And uh, I just want to thank you for uh, taking some time to um, speak about these topics here a little bit with the listeners. Uh, people can reach you at your website. And, uh, and from there on, they find you on Twitter and all these kind of things. Um, I just want to thank you. And uh, um, just as a, my last comment, I just want to hope that you have a much, much bigger gathering um, sooner, rather sooner than later, with more women in Agile. And uh, are, are you planning on doing any kind of triathlons this year? <laughs> um, yeah, once once the 
once it gets into the summer months. So. Here we go. Stay local. Okay, great. And yes. Thank good. you very much. I enjoyed it. Okay. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Agile FM, the radio for the Agile community. I'm your host, Joe Krebs. If you're interested in more programming and additional podcasts, please go to www.agile.fm. Talk to you soon. Thank you.